CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid. Welcome to CIO Talk Radio with your host, Sun Joke All. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sun Joke All. Very good morning and welcome to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. And as always, we invite you to join the discussion on Twitter, hashtag CTR Live, and look for this show as hashtag collaboration. Today's topic is enabling an effective virtual enterprise, and our guests for today's show are Frank Modrison, who is the CIO with Accenture. Good morning, uh, Frank. How are you? Very good, Sandog. And yourself? Oh, could not be better. I'm actually in Dallas right now in a hotel room and, and enjoying this conversation. And uh, we also have Scott Blanchett, uh, Senior Vice President and CIO at Vanguard Health Systems. And uh, how are you, sir? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Uh, thanks. And as always, happy to be here. Great. And I'd like to congratulate you on winning the MIT Sloan uh, Leadership Award for 2013. Great job. Well, thank you very much. It was a tremendous honor. Oh, great. Thank you. And, you know, uh, so the topic here is based on the fact that we are living in a new age uh, with a new workforce. And now technology has helped us get well beyond just working from home or perhaps outsourcing. But at the same time, we recognize that building a virtual workforce, be it to become uh, more agile, uh, productive, or global, takes a lot more than giving an employee a laptop and a smartphone to work from anywhere. So it takes leadership, perhaps new policies, and there have been some debate recently so as to the best ways to go about this transition. And um, we would like to explore that today. With that said, uh, Scott, the first question I'd like to pose is, what do you think would be some of the top challenges that a virtual enterprise may face? Uh, would there be specific ones for related to logistics or management, communication, and of course, leadership challenges, which did not exist or don't exist in a regular world where people come to office every day? Well, I, I think all of those are fair challenges, and to, to one extent or another will we'll surface. But I think the first uh, challenge is more of a strategic one, and that's your organization's ability to try and accomplish, well, getting very strategic about what it is that you're trying to accomplish and designing a, a program and a solution around those objectives. And just like any initiative, you know, this won't be the solution to all problems. So I would encourage folks to think about being very clear about the agenda and reminding uh, your colleagues and leadership about the agenda for your, your virtual enterprise or reframe that as necessary. And, and one example that comes to mind is, you know, a program designed around talent acquisition, which is a, a significant driver specifically in the healthcare industry, Hard to reach talent is is uh, is is commonplace. It's going to be very different than one built around uh, cost arbitrage, for example. And so, once you've I think gotten a good strategic framework in place and some nice guardrails established, building and maintaining a virtual program becomes much more clear and concise. I wouldn't say that it becomes easy, but certainly a much more solvable problem. So, uh, Frank, you've been at it uh, for a couple of years, I'd assume. How did that journey start, and what, when you look back, hindsight is twenty twenty, of course. What kind of challenges did you see uh, going in, and what do you see them morphing into now that you've been in it for a couple of years? 
Well, we have been at it for a few years, um, and I guess I would step back and I would take a different tact a little bit. There are always challenges, but why do you put up with the challenges or why do you go after the challenges? I'd, I'd rather focus on what are the opportunities, and then challenges are going to come up with any opportunity. Okay, what do you do about that? So to me, uh, with newer technologies, particularly with the advent of video, you know, we can see and interact more creatively online than ever before. Okay, what, what opportunity does that present for us? Well, it, prevent, it presents teams being able to work globally and see each other rather than having to travel there. It also prevent, presents people flexibilities in their lives about when they work. Uh, Accenture is a global organization, so we have teams operating basically in every time zone around the world. The challenge with that is if you're on a team that's in a different time zone, a significantly different time zone than you, you may need to be on a call at an awkward time. It's a lot nicer to be on that call on video at home at 6 o'clock in the morning or 9 o'clock at night rather than needing to be in the office. And the technologies allow us to break down that space continuum. It doesn't solve the time problem, but it does solve the space continuum. In addition, companies are faced with rising rent costs, uh, space costs. You know, what, what are the opportunities that that presents itself for people to work virtually, to reduce the carbon footprint of people commuting to, you know, in-town locations, for example? These are all opportunities that the technology lets you take on. Now, with that, there are always going to be challenges, but I tend to like to focus on what's the opportunity, the why of doing things. So, Frank, what all you just said, of course, it could be a great PR angle in terms of, uh, you know, you reduce the carbon footprint, et cetera. And there's, of course, cost reduction. Do you think if you were to do a net calculation between what you gain versus what you lose and so far the journey, the way you had it, do you think what you are able to get in terms of people working from wherever and you're able to reduce the logistics issues and, and hoteling issues in a, in a, uh, for all your workers – has that has that paid off already, or do you think that is that calculation is still being worked on? No, no, it's already paid off. Um, we 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 paid a lot of attention when video conferencing was more expensive. Now I'm going back a few years ago, when it was more expensive, we looked at that very aggressively because we said, okay, for this investment, what's our return? And we had a significant return on the investment, about two x what the investment was, and that was primarily in reduced airfare. Uh, costs that we could track, meetings that would have been in person that became virtual as a result. So we already know we have a pretty significant cost savings uh, by using the technology. So, Scott, if you if you look at the calculations that, of course, in Frank's case, it was 2x, and there are still companies who have not gone full throttle with it because of some issues. Now, what could those issues be? Do they not feel the need? Or if they do feel the need, they don't know how, or they're on the fence? Well, um, you know, before I answer that question directly, let me uh, speak to, I guess, an implied assumption here. We we didn't necessarily pursue a virtual enterprise for the purposes of cost savings. Um, you know, we, we do have the benefit of being a domestic operation and and even so inside of that domestic agenda we have kind of six regional markets so we're fairly concentrated in limited geographies we looked at this really for for three purposes the first was talent acquisition and i talked a little bit about that challenge in healthcare and i think that more than anything was was the primary driver 
I think the second was around workforce productivity gains, which are you know less um, less tangible than uh, uh, strict cost arbitrage ROI type calculations, but still have some economic benefit. And then I third, I think the third was attracting and retaining a new generation of workers. And by new, I mean those that have been exposed to the virtual enterprise over the last 20 years. I don't necessarily mean recent college graduates. And so I think, you know, very different than the Accenture model, you know, cost management, I think, was less uh, concern for us. And, and, and I think to a lesser extent, uh, globalization was less of a business driver. But the issues around talent acquisition, productivity, and, and, and uh, workforce engagement um, were really the, the key drivers for us. And that created a, a different, uh, you know, I think a different program design than what you would see at, at Accenture because, again, it was aligned around, you know, some, some very clear and, and in some cases different, different business objectives. And, Frank, in your case, you're not the only global organization who uh, have, you know, the travel needs, et cetera, but not everyone went uh, the route that you went. What did well, you find differently for yourself? Well, I guess a couple of things. And first, I would I would uh, pick up on a comment that um, Scott made. I think every organization drivers are going to be different. Every company, every organization, and it'll vary by industry and culture of the company. So I think what drives you to start is going to be different. The flip side of that, and when you introduce it, the flip side of that is I believe vo- video is the new voice. So if you okay. roll back the clock and you go back to, you know, the late 1890s and telegraph was uh, the, the primary means of distance communication and the telephone showed up, right? Um, I'm pretty sure there were skeptics about how fast that that would permeate our culture, and now we have more phones on the planet than we have people. Um, clearly, that's become ubiquitous. I think video is going to go through a similar journey faster, but it'll still take many years. Uh, the, the consumption of video has, has gone up significantly in our organization. If you look at global usage, it's gone up, but it's only been over the last four or five years. As the cost comes down, people become more comfortable with it and use it to solve individual problems like talking to their grandkids, which is was one of the major uses of some of the popular um, free video on the web. Um, I think you'll see changes happen. This is, you know, so we started early. It doesn't mean that we're going to be the only organizations who are doing it. I think it's going to become ubiquitous as the cost goes down, and I think we we will see uses we didn't anticipate. Um, the one, I'll give you an example, uh, not necessarily related to online video, but a similar technology. I was having some work done in my house recently. And um, the guys were going to move some stuff around and un- disconnect some wiring from my stereo. And I said, okay, you guys will never be able to figure out how to wire that back up. And they said, we don't have to. Our, our phones have cameras in them. We'll just take a picture. It's not that hard. And I was like, wow, there's a use case that no one ever thought about for a built-in camera in a phone, right? Or at least the guys who originated the putting a camera in a phone, I doubt they were thinking about the, the handyman doing work. I think video is going to show up so ubiquitously that we can't even anticipate all the use cases. We think about the use cases now. You know, you can see people's reactions to ideas on your conference call versus 
walking past people's reaction. That was an eye-opener for me. I was on a call where someone reacted negatively to a comment that I had made, um, and I thought it was actually quite positive because I could go back and probe into the issue and the problem at hand. Right? These nuances of, of video are going to be very, very important. I think there's an awful lot of opportunity for us. So, Frank, you did mention video, and, and yes, it is a technology, and yes, over a period of time, we'll see adoption. Do you think this this being a common denominator and given video will go where it is, some organizations are successful in making a virtual enterprise reality where you are able to maintain uh, you know, the productivity and actually get the things done versus having people go out doing whatever they're doing and and eventually there are some examples where people said we don't want to do that anymore bring them back again so i'm sure there are certain things and you being humble you are attributing that to technology but if you've successfully done it what is that uh those those other things that you had to look at besides introducing video in your mix for you to get the desired result well i think one thing that plays in our favor is we have a very um well technology astute employee groups, so they're used to and they like to engage and use technology. Um, in addition, they're a fairly mobile group. They tend to work uh, with our clients at our client locations or at our facilities, but it's never nine to five, this one location, you come in, punch a clock, sit down, work for you know eight hours, get up and leave. It's a fairly dynamic set of work, and the work's always changing. So I think the idea that how we work and where we work becomes more fluid. Uh, we moved to hoteling for office space somewhere in the early 90s, uh, which is, is, is it's so long ago, it's such a natural part of our organization, um, it's hard for me to remember exactly when, but it was somewhere in the 91 to 93 time frame. Um, and you think about it, that's a pretty sensical way, particularly if someone is not sitting at the desk every day. Um, that will vary by company and by organization, by industry, but I think I think you'll see more of that. You have to also remember, particularly the office. The office, I would I would postulate, is a modern invention to get over the challenges of communication that existed 50 or 100 years ago. Let's take a. Yes. So so let's take a quick break. Uh, listeners will be right back. And Frank, when we come back, please continue your thoughts. Sure. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. Wait, is that your pager? There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant, like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. 
The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration. And manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. All right, Frank, take it away. That um, the, the office is a relatively modern invention. Um, and I believe it was to conquer communication. We, we were mostly paper-based, or we were completely paper-based when the office was invented, and we moved things around the office. Now, there are good reasons to get people together, but I would postulate before uh, computers and before the telephone, it was largely to push paper around. Now that the paper is largely, if not completely, automated, what is the office for? How should we use it? What does space look like? What's the best way to make use of it? And how do you use technologies, particularly video and virtual technologies, to change the dynamic of how people work to either make it more efficient or more effective or best both? So, Scott, do you think it's old-fashioned to keep uh, talking about the in-person communication always is better than a virtual communication, even though you can get that super HD video conferencing in place? Well, I think there's there's two scenarios, and I I think it's probably important to differentiate that you know our, our hospital business, which there is uh, the hospital aspects of our business, which there are significant benefits, if not you know absolutely critical uh, components of in-person interaction that are necessary for us to conduct the business or business. But that is also being disrupted by the virtual enterprise, and I t- talk about that in a minute. On the administrative side of our business, which is the office uh, space. You know, I think there are some limits to scale, and I don't know that you know the the complete uh, virtualization of the office-based workforce is is uh, the end goal, nor is it you know infinite in, infinitely attainable in terms of scalability. Which is why I come back to my original comments around you have to be very strategic about what problems you're trying to solve and who you're trying to solve them with. But then I also think very deliberate in your execution to not allow things like uh, uh, thinking that this is the old way of doing business and the right way of doing business versus the new way and, and, and the wrong way, I, I think you need to get back to the specific problem statements you're trying to solve and, and, and try and align specific strategies and tactics around those. 
So, Scott, you mentioned about being strategic. So if you were to lay out, say, a playbook or, or steps in a playbook, so first is to identify whether your organization is even ready, and there may be some prerequisites that you may want to uh, fulfill, and then go ahead with the plan. So would you have some idea or you'd like to share in terms of what kind of due diligence which could be commonly done in any organization to see if it is primed for going virtual or even ready for going virtual? Yeah, I, I think you've hit on some of the key ones. The first is is uh, organizational alignment around what you're trying to accomplish, and is it even culturally um, feasible? And and I think you need to be quite quite honest about that. There are certain corporate cultures where a virtual enterprise is just not going to work, and it has nothing to do with organizational competencies, technical competencies. It's just philosophically, it's not in the organization's DNA. I think secondarily, we've talked enough about the strategy, but you need to be very deliberate about that. And in particular, within that strategy, determining scope, timeline, and setting expectations. I think thirdly, there's an opportunity for technical readiness, and that includes a human technical readiness. Um, I've seen programs where um, you know, uh, 100% of the solutions are deployed and deployed effectively that would make the program successful, but yet their adoption rate may be 10 or 20 percent, and that comes back to a human capital issue and not uh, a technical issue. So there are clearly some steps strategically, organizationally, philosophically that I think people need to get through before you start getting down into practical things around uh, human performance management, leadership management, technical readiness, et cetera. Frank, do you think you need to hire all type A's in your company because that will take care of uh, you having to manage them and or them uh, having to learn anything new because they will be like kind of go-getters who will say, okay, bring it on, I'll deal with it? Well, I, th I think, you know, you're going to have a mix in any organization of type of people, right, and you want diversity. Um, so, you know, I think you, you start there. I think technology will be adopted at different rates by different individuals and by different generations and by different motivations. Um, and you need to kind of crack the code on that, understand it, recognize it, and embrace it. You know, think about this, right? Um, video on the Internet has exploded. There's, there's essentially no question about that through some of the popular free programs that are out there. One of the biggest users have been grandparents. Their motivation is to see their grandkids. High motivation, right, and bingo, you know, it's become a pretty common thing because they're very motivated and, and seemingly comfortable with their grandkids seeing them and vice versa, right? So there's a lot of high motivation. In a work setting, some people are very comfortable with video. I, I see the younger generation not even thinking about it. Um, but you start getting into different generations, and the generations kind of say, well, do I really need to be on? Gee, I, you know, I'm, I'm not wearing my – I don't have a tie on. I don't have a jacket on. Um, gee, I don't know if I'm in the right setting for this meeting, right? So it does change things a little bit. You have to educate people and understand that the world is different, right? When people are working more virtually, you're going to hear the dog barking in the background, right? You're going to see a different setting. But – you you also have to recognize that these people may be working more hours in the day because they're not commuting. Well, you know, what's the win-win for the individual and for the organization? So you need to look at it, understand it, and really understand what the technology can do. And, and I do believe you're going to have unexpected consequences, both positively and negatively. 
So, uh, Frank, based on your comments about uh, the grandparents trying to talk to their grandkids and there's a high motivation. Now, that's one thing which is voluntary. So, yes, you see quite a few people going in that direction. Now, when you talk about a corporate pressure cooker where the adoption needs to be planned and actually insured for you to show ROI to your boss, how do you do that? Well, um, there's a couple of things. Um, you know, for our first foray into video, and this was the more expensive uh, room-based systems, we actually made a pretty big, you know, we, we, we did an incremental investment. Uh, we basically bought a dozen rooms, tried it out, measured um, our effectiveness, and what we found over time was that um, there was some education, but people liked the technology, they liked the immersive nature of it, it got used. Um, and, and we were able to measure cost savings, which justified getting more rooms. And we got more rooms, and we got more savings, and we got more rooms, we got more savings, we got more rooms, we got more savings. If I had known the amount of money we were going to save, uh, you know, we have over 100, you know, immersive tele, uh, you know, vi- um, video rooms today. If I had known that, I would have bought all 100 right at the beginning because it took us about four years of watching this. So if I were doing it again, I would go more aggressively. Um, as we've rolled out desktop video, which is almost free, not free, but almost free, it's quite inexpensive, we've extended that to 150,000 people of our 250,000. And um, because it's pretty ubiquitous, we're getting very aggressive use of it that I, uh, beyond what I would have imagined. Um, I don't worry as much on the ROI on that because the cost is so low. But we're, we're conducting about 150, 160,000 video meetings a month. That was the month of June, but it's up substantially from earlier in the year. Um, it's just, you know, in, actually in the last year, it's more than doubled, right? So, you know, you see that kind of growth. You see people are adopting this and using it. They're interacting differently. To me, that's a positive thing. So one is, uh, Scott, this is for you. So Frank did mention about video, and that is, of course, one of the ways people see each other and interact with each other. But then there are other forms of collaboration and other form of, uh, you know, discussions that may be happening or may be required so that people are able to do the work collaboratively on, say, a project which is not straightforward dialogue. It requires other type of exchange. So would you say there should be a technology stack which is pre configured, if you will, which should be brought, and then a set of policies which are pre-configured and, and uh, you know, connected and, and are basically enforced so that people are actually able to uh, adopt it timely and you are able to look like a hero. Yeah, I, 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 I really appreciate uh, Frank's uh, comments that, you know, certainly uh, hindsight is, is always twenty twenty, and if we knew uh, today, what we knew some number of years ago, we probably would have gone after all, all sorts of these opportunities much more aggressively. I, I, I agree that video has really been had a, a substantial impact on 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 the enterprise, and um, I, I think for if for no other reason, it's either psychologists or sociologists that refer to unspoken conventions of human behavior, which are very difficult to discern on the phone. Um, but much more uh, easily discernible in in person and on video, and I think that that has really improved the quality of communication, uh, as well as reinforcing trust. And so that that's been a huge game changer. Inside of that package that you're referring to, chat 
and the convenience of chat has been been huge. And that doesn't necessarily need to be inside of something uh, native like Microsoft. I think uh, other uh, more global uh, chat uh, and sophisticated platforms like Yammer, I think, are, are particularly uh, attractive. Um, uh, I think compounding the effectiveness of this is some form of information, formalized information sharing uh, platform. And, and there are all sorts of emerging companies that are trying to, to create niches here and do them, I think, better than the incumbents in this space. And so if you think of the drop boxes of the world um, or, or some structured sharing mechanism, and then uh, an area that's of particular interest to us and I think would be of a number of businesses would be a common set of performance management dashboards that come with this uh, communication suite because uh, I think between, you know, uh, old, old, old age email, video chat, information sharing mechanisms and dashboards for uh, performance management reporting and oversight, that, that, portfolio of capabilities is is a pretty tight suite of, of capabilities and really begs the question about the necessity of, of getting on a plane, flying someplace, and sitting in a room um, and effectively doing the exact same thing that those solutions allow you to do. So if you can hone those, refine those, and to your point, couple those, um, I think you're, you're, you're pretty well down the road. Now, Frank, we would not want to doubt anyone as a worker in a virtual enterprise, but how on earth do you know after you spend so much time and, and of course, energy in deploying something and you do see meetings happening, but how effective are they? And secondly, even when the meetings are not happening, of course, there has to be work done by people when they are by themselves and not talking to someone. That's also part of the virtual enterprise. So if you are to just count the adoption of number of video chats that happen and feel good, yes, we should feel proud about it. But then how do we actually evaluate against the productivity that we should be having at the minimal, if not again, because people now are given the freedom to work from wherever they are? Well, you know, that's a great question. And, you know, when you look at all this, these are tools that enable communication. I think Scott was... Uh, really gave a number of examples, but if you step back, right, it's all about communication. We know communication and collaboration are very important. So the metrics we have are largely around are the tools being used. What you have to look at, and this gets much harder because you don't look at the tools for this, you look at the output. What is the output of teams? What are they getting done? Because I, think I get a lot of questions. People say, well, gee, if somebody's working virtual, how do you know they're working? Well, you measure their output. Are they doing their job? If they're on a team, are they contributing? Is the team being successful? Is the team meeting its goals? That's really what you need to look at. And I think we sometimes get wrapped up in measuring actually the wrong things. There are process metrics that tell you about is the work going on, Right. But don't, or something, tell you something about the, the process itself. The more important metrics in my mind are what people label as output metrics. What is the output? If a team is supposed to build, say, a new system and deliver it on September 1st, is it built? Does it work? Is it of the right quality? Was it delivered on time and on budget? To me, those are the metrics we need to look at. Um, uh, you know, when, when you look at things, and, and it's kind of funny because um, I just had some work done on my house, right? To me, I look at the output of the house. Was it the spec? Was it the color right? Was the job finished, et cetera? I don't look at 
did the carpenter use a hammer or an air gun? Did it take him two hours to put the studs in or an hour? I don't really care as long as it's done, right? And that's where we tend to get a little kind of confused on things when we look at this. So I think you need to look at the output metrics. Uh, let's take a quick break, listeners. When we come back, Scott, now let's talk about the output metrics and see what do we benchmark it against. So the skeptical, a healthy skeptic could say, oh, well, uh, the project was to be done by October 1st, and that was because original date in mind was September 1st, but they took a month slack, and the uh, rest of the time people were vacationing. I mean, that could be, of course, a distrusting leader, and that would have its own uh, repercussions. But then how do you make sure that whatever you're measuring it against, whether to, to say uh, that this people, these people are going to finish it on time versus not, how did you come up with that particular benchmark for you to effectively know that, yes, your virtual enterprise is actually producing at the same level as it would have produced if everybody was in the same office? Let's explore this when we come back. Please stay tuned. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration. And manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. Wait, is that your pager? There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant, like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use RingCentral, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at RingCentral.com. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. So welcome back, uh, Scott, as uh, based on Frank's remark about being able to uh, measure the outputs. Now, let's challenge that in a healthy way. How do I know if my benchmarks are accurate and what is it that I should aspire for and compare the outputs against, and especially when you moved on to virtual enterprise already? What, what's, your, what's your formula then? 
Well, I, you know, I think Frank hit on the key point, which there's a very heavy emphasis on expectation setting, performance management, accountability, and and transparency of of performance. Um, with the most heavy emphasis on outcomes. And, you know, that doesn't largely differ from how we manage our resources in the office or not in the office. Now, there are some unique expectations, I think, around responsiveness. Um, But, again, that's not all too dissimilar from an office environment. But I think there is an implied assumption here around um, leadership uh, having some capacity to understand how to manage the business of, of the virtual business and then also an implied assumption around having a high-performance team. And if the team isn't performing, then, then diagnosing that becomes a little more challenging um, remotely. And, and I think one of the things we're going to talk about a little bit later is an organization that went through this performance management exercise with a virtual workforce uh, and wasn't successful in diagnosing the root cause and so opted to, to insource that group. But I, I think, you know, Frank hit the, I, the most key point, and I think this is the one that, that I, I would probably stick to as well, which is if an individual is able to achieve their results in 10 hours versus 50 or 60, then good on them. And I'd hope they use that, that opportunity, that, uh, that efficiency as an opportunity to assume more responsibilities, move on to progressively more significant roles, share that same expertise with the rest of the team, and hence, you know, raise the entire tide for all the boats in the water. I don't. I haven't seen anybody in 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 uh, in my career who's been successful in gaming the system, and and still capable of getting the results expected. And I think the expectations virtually are still very high, whether they're benchmarked against an office environment or other virtual exercises, and they might even be higher for that for that virtual workforce. So I I don't necessarily. Um, acknowledge that there's a huge opportunity here for people to to uh, to circumvent the uh, the system. So Frank, do you do you think there is some sort of a benchmark that you could uh, you may have established by now that this is the type of work it is and this is how long it should take? So when somebody uh, gives you an estimate, you are like you know in your chain of command the estimates. Then there is a way to assess whether it is a realistic one or it has got a lot of buffer or slack built in. And and once there's a meeting, uh, basically the expectations are set, then you just measure the output. Is that how it works? Well, uh, first, uh, let me start by saying I think Scott hit on and articulated a lot of important points because I think people get distracted by this. Well, gee, if I can't see him working, how do I know he or she is actually working? Right? It's got to be about are they getting their work done? And I do believe that the people who take the – 50-hour task and get it down in, in 10 hours, they generally come back and say, yo, what else do you need help with? Right? They don't say, hey, I'm going to go sit on the beach for the, the rest of the week. Um, you know, and I think you will also get a sense, and we do a lot of this. In our, at Accenture, we have a, a, a methodology for doing various types of work that we do. We use our own methodology that has estimating parameters. We see, you, know, you run projects using those. And then you feed them back in, look at the results, look at the variances. Um, so we have pretty good metrics. And if I look at our overall IT performance, as an example, uh, we are aggressive users of our own collaboration technology. We also benchmark the best in our industry on our IT spend. And I would tell you, I also think it's very, um, very good technology. So we must be doing something right, at least at a macro level. But in reality, there is no magic benchmark that if you use video, 
the project's going to be 10% cheaper, 10% better. There, there isn't a particular metric around that, um, at least none, none that I'm aware of yet. I think what you need to look at is, is the organization responding and changing? Because one of the key things here, too, and i got to believe this is the case for Scott's organization, um, is the real value that people bring to the table is the ability to continue to evolve and change an organization. Because if, if you're not getting better, by definition, you're getting worse, because somebody around you is getting better. The competitive environment that we have today um, across industries is pretty high, and the world keeps changing. And our, our, the, the real challenge for us as leaders and our people is to help an organization move into the future and to be better than it was before, kind of a continuous improvement metaphor. Video just becomes one more you know, arrow in the quiver to help make you more effective. So I think some of this stuff has to get back to, are we changing fast enough? Are we keeping up? Are we out in front? Because you have to look around and see where you are vis-a-vis your competition. So, Scott, would you think that if somebody is delivering well, are they really happy? Because the fact that you are looking at them as a worker, but they are also a, a human being, and your retention, your ability to retain them in with this very competitive marketplace would also be a challenge if you just have that as a measure. of saying as long as this person does his job well and asks for two other things, I think he's happy with what he's doing. Is that how we, we kind of assess and move forward? You know, I, I think that is a good indicator. And, you know, one of the things that's difficult in this model is establishing and reinforcing motivation. Um, that's always easier to do in person. I mean, the, the, anybody who's been in a, in, a, in a sales role or a sales culture understands that, you know, sales via phone or via video teleconference are just tougher by nature. There's some a lack of interpersonal connectivity there. And I think not having the ability to establish and reinforce motivation for certain tasks or mission uh, visions or, or strategies is just hard, harder to do. But I think, you know, again, you, you can have very clear indicators along the way around not only people's personal productivity, but their engagement. Um, I'm, I'm sure Accenture uses some engagement mechanism as do we, so we have that as a feedback mechanism. I think productivity is another indicator. I think the performance management process where leaders you know, should, could, and should take a genuine interest in helping develop all of their, their colleagues, um, I think that process, um, if, it's, if it's taken with a degree of seriousness, also provides other insights into how people are performing. Are they liking what they're doing? Are they liking the manner in which they're doing it? Do they believe in what we're doing? And do they believe in the team that's that's leading them in that direction? And so there are a lot of indicators along the way. I don't, I wouldn't look to one or two, but I, I think there's a portfolio of data points along the way where, where we as leaders or managers should very rarely be surprised by by uh, by by feedback that that may be uh, uh, counter conventional. So Frank, uh, you, I'm sure there are worker bees or, or, or you would say people who are at different levels who are supposed to do a project and, and life is good there. Now what you might, you might remember when you were uh, climbing up the chain of command and or you know climbing up in your career and you may have a few other mentors who would have worked with you side by side, you may have watched them do certain things and you learned. 
And that comes down to leadership development. And I'm sure an organization such as yours and any other organization which wants to go virtual would also always have to develop leaders from the same virtual workers. So would you bring them in or you think by having a chat and a video conference is going to still be able to deliver that result? So I, th- I think it's an and. I don't think it's an or. Um, one of the most effective leaders on my team um, is a gentleman who runs a lot of our um, uh, data center architecture and network stuff. Guy's fantastic. He's a great technologist, but the, the thing that's actually really special about him is how effective he is at developing his team and how much they just love working for the guy. You know, I was talking to one person recently um, who was working for him and was just bubbling over about how great it was to work for him. And she, she had been a good performer, but under him she became a really fantastic performer. And I was asking her, how's it going working for him and all that? And uh, she said, oh, it's great. He gives me so much air cover. I can really get stuff done, et cetera. And then I talked to him. And he goes, yeah, she told me the same thing. I'm, I'm not really sure what I'm doing, but she's doing great. And I'm just staying out of her way. So what, like, what's the message we get from this? Well, the message was that he connects with her, he listens to her, and he lets her do her job. So physical proximity has got nothing to do with the person's style and the way they come across, wherever well, they are. Interestingly, he is based um, in a city where we have no one else on his team, no one. He works remote three weeks to four weeks a month. He comes to our office in Chicago maybe once a month. But when he interacts with people, he demands that it's over video. And he connects very well with his team. Now, guess what? He was good in person before we did video. He's good on video. I think it's a little less about the technology and a little bit more about the individual. Right? He's just good helping develop and get people to perform the video is just one more way that he gets to interact with people, and maybe he gets to interact with more people because it's a little bit easier, right? The physical proximity stuff's broken down. But ultimately, it's less about the technology and more about the skills of the individual. Now, I think video has a place. I think in-person has a place. I think there are certain things you'd like to do, deliver in person. Um, but I do a lot of face-to-face discussions over video as well. So I, my sense is if you can see people, you get more comfortable having the conversation. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And uh, Scott, when we come back, continuing on that leadership, uh, and uh, you should be developing leaders, and whether you do it over video or in person, but to be able to develop other leaders who are in turn able to get the best output, not just the most, but the best output out of all people who report to them, What is it that you would want to coach them and train them on so that because of this change in the way people are interacting, they are not physically uh, present at the same location, what all would have to change in the way you would like to coach your lieutenants in order for them to be effective in a virtual enterprise? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Wait, is that your pager? 
There's nostalgic, and then there's completely irrelevant, like having a hardware-heavy business phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use Ring Central, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations in minutes and manage the entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that 20th century phone system out of your 21st century business. Sign up for a free trial at ringcentral.com. The U.S. and Canada represent just 5% of the global population, but collectively we consume about 35% of the world's resources. Supply is not keeping up with demand, so change is not an option, it's imperative. Siemens brings knowledge to power through modernization, responsible energy consumption, and greening the grid projects. Siemens Smart Grid has the answers. Just Google Lead the Charge Portal. HP is proud to sponsor this program. Tap into our expertise, innovation, and services to bring your most important workloads to the cloud. The switchboards and Rolodexes are gone, and so is the need for a hardware-heavy phone system. These days, over 300,000 businesses use Ring Central, the cloud-based business communication solution for the way you work. Set up multiple users in multiple locations with voice, text, conferencing, even Salesforce integration, and manage your entire system on your smartphone starting at $19.99 a month per user. So get that ancient phone system out of your modern office and off your bottom line. Sign up for a free trial at ringcentral.com. You are listening to CIO Talk Radio with Sunjog All. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. If you have a question or comment, call toll-free at 1-866-472-5790. That number again is 1-866-472-5790. Now, back to the show. Here's Sunjog All. Welcome back. So, Scott, what would you do to coach your lieutenants so that they are effective leaders in a virtual enterprise? How would you coach them differently? Well, I think one one of the key issues that we haven't spent a lot of time talking about is is the trust relationship that I think is is absolutely critical to uh, being an effective leader. And you know, we're very fortunate in being a domestic enterprise that we physically assemble the team once or twice a year start to try and build some of those strong interpersonal relationships that help drive that trust. And at scale, when that's not practical, we, we, we try and push that onus onto the management the management layer. Um, but, you know, I, I think some of the biggest issues that, that come once you've established that trust foundation are, are things we've talked about, expectation setting, performance management, and transparency and deliberate in your expectations. I would say one of the other things that's that's also an, an implied leadership obligation here and might be a new twist is that there are going to be those that are more comfortable and those that are less comfortable with this type of delivery model. In fact, you, you might very well find into people that are vehemently opposed to this type of delivery model. And I think those that are more comfortable with it, whether it's peers, subordinates, or superiors, those that are more comfortable with that have an opportunity to help their colleagues understand um, how to develop a strategy, how to develop an execution plan, helping get more comfortable and familiar with the tools and technology when they're not comfortable or familiar with them, and also doing a better job at communicating the performance benefits of the virtual enterprise. And I think 
a combination of those those activities, it, it, you know, will really lead you to to a high performing place. So, Frank, you did mention uh, a lot about the video and its effectiveness. Do you think our plumbing, that is our underlying network and infrastructure, ready? for most organizations to take this leap or there's an overhaul required and if it is way too big of an investment then would that be a damper that would put a damper on this very virtual enterprise related uh, initiative that some people may want to take on well i think you bring up a very good point sangrag um the network and in fact if i look at infrastructure in my opinion the network is really the one strategic component it's how you get to the cloud it's how you communicate. It's how you connect with your customers, with your colleagues, etc. It's what really ties organizations together. Many companies over the years have built layers of technology. They have a voice network. They have a data network. They have a video network. Uh, if there's been acquisitions, sometimes they have multiple networks with multiple um, different uh, providers, technologies, all mixed together. Um, I think there's an opportunity, in fact, I, I witnessed it with ourselves and with some of our clients, that if you have a network that you really haven't stepped back and looked at strategically and said, what's the future? There is a, an investment to be made. There is a huge cost savings to be garnered and unlocking dramatic um, performance increase. So, for example, over the past four or five years, we cut the cost of the network uh, by more than in half, but also tripled the bandwidth. And the way we did that was combining voice, data, video onto an, one IP network. Money fell out the bottom, saved a ton of money, more than paid for, significantly more than paid for the investment. But the other thing is it unlocked the ability. It was actually perfect. We, you know, better lucky than good. Um, is around the time that we went to room-based video systems, they were actually easy to add to our network because of the work that we did. It was a bit fortuitous, but video takes up and churns up a lot of bandwidth. Companies need to be ready for that, and I think there's a real opportunity not to just slam in a video network, but to step back and say strategically, architecturally, what do we want our network to look at? What kind of traffic and flexibility do we need, and where are we going to go with it? So I think there's a huge opportunity as well as challenge there. All right, uh, Scott, so we, we've heard about this. Uh, there was a controversy recently in the news about uh, companies debating eliminating working from home throughout the organization. So they went virtual and they basically brought uh, everyone back. Do you think there is something uh, which was like a major disaster or was that a mindset change or a management uh, was thinking that it is not producing the results? What could have happened? Because, of course, no one knows uh, why would somebody do that? But if you've already seen the value of somebody working virtual and producing, uh, you know, good results, why on earth would someone kind of bring it back? It, yeah, I, I think the 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 uh, the natural tendency for some managers to go after the virtual workforce as being the root issue um, is generally going after the symptom and not the cause. And I think. It, that that response, I think, is appropriate if you're in an environment where you're, you have significant cultural issues, trust issues, transparency issues, performance management issues that are very difficult to diagnose 
um, in a in a virtual environment, and that's largely not a function of the virtual environment. That's a function of how that environment tends to get stood up and operated, how the tools and technologies and processes support that, and and understanding again the strategic objectives of even standing up a virtual environment. And so, I you know some managers, new managers, tend to to look at the virtual environment as being um, the problem, but in, in many cases, I think the smart ones will look at that as being a short-term solution to getting at, at much more fundamental foundational challenges, and once those are fixed, I, I won't be surprised to see you know those, those types of managers getting back to the virtual enterprise, mainly for all the benefits we've talked about today. 30 seconds, uh, Frank, any advice since you've lived this successfully in terms of, uh, you know, making an organization virtual, any three top words that come to mind which leaders should keep in mind and, and follow those in order to be successful? Well, I, I think the key, uh, I said at the top of the, the show, I, w- I would focus on the opportunity. What's the opportunity? Where do you want to go? What's the destination? How do I embrace the opportunity and focus on the opportunities and how you can evolve the organizational culture and then handle the challenges within that. On behalf of the show and our listeners, thank you so much, Frank and Scott, uh, for sharing your thoughts about how organizations can effectively enable uh, virtual enterprises. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to be on. Thank you once again. Um, Please, uh, listeners, like us on Facebook, search for CIO Talk Radio, and please be sure to follow us on Twitter. Thank you again for listening to CIO Talk Radio. This is Sanjog All, your talk show host. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CIO Talk Radio. To learn more about the show, please visit www.ciotalkradio.com. Please join Sun Joke All next Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Central Time, and 10 a.m. Eastern Time for another hour of CIO Talk Radio on the Voice America Business Channel. CIO Talk Radio is brought to you by HP and Siemens Smart Grid.